Last week we talked about stress being uh, predictable. Uh, tonight we want to talk about stress being problematic. Uh, in James chapter 1 and verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now you understand the word temptation here it can be translated as a test or as a trial. Uh, last week we talked to you about the fact that uh, stress and anxiety are predictable. We understand that trials and tests and tribulation uh, are something that every one of us go through in life. It's a major part of what we do in life today. There's stress on the job. There's stress in the home. There's stress during this recession. Uh, there's stress with people we deal with. I mean, I can't drive from my home to church day or night without being stressed uh, by the time I get home. Uh, yeah, I guess it was Sunday night on the way home, uh, right down here almost uh, uh, at Gibb Galloway. I was in the, the three lanes. I was in the middle lane, and a guy went around me doing seemingly about 55 miles an hour, and had I another coat of paint on my car, he would have flipped me for sure because he just barely got between two cars. That's stressful, friend. And the world we live in, stress comes from a lot of ways. We cannot escape stress. We cannot avoid stress. So we had better learn how to deal with stress uh, before stress begins to deal with us. We will never reach a place in our Christian walk with God to where we'll never again uh, go through tests and trials of this life. There's never a place where God looks upon your life and might say, well, he or she finally has gone through the school of hard knocks and they've just received their PhD in maturity. Because God always is going after maturity in your life and going after maturity in my life. There are many people that may be old in stature, but they're still very immature. And there may be some that are very young in age and be very mature. Uh, so maturity deals with how God deals with us and how we allow him to deal with us as well. But there'll never come a time in your life or mine where we've ever reached a stage of maturity to where God says, I am finished with you. Quite the contrary. As a matter of fact, the longer we work with God, the longer that we serve God, and the longer that we are hooked up with God, sometimes the more severe can be the trial and the testing uh, that comes our way. So God is after maturity in your life. Can you say that with me? God is after maturity in my life. And with that being said, we know that it's through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. Now, since trials and tests and tribulations are such a, uh, will come our way, we know that stress and anxiety and depression uh, will not be far behind. Stress, anxiety, depression, they are problematic. Do you know that? They are problematic. They are our enemy, but if we learn to deal with stress, anxiety, and depression in the correct way, they can become our friend if we allow them to do so. Now, do you know if you take the word stressed and spell it backwards, it means desserts? To me, that's a wonderful play on words. How do we get desserts out of the stresses that we go through? Tonight, I hope that we can learn a few things from our study that will benefit, be beneficial to us as we know stress and anxiety is part of the world in which we live in. Now, even though trials and tests uh, uh, predictably will come our way, they will produce stress, they will produce anxiety in our lives, that does not mean we should avoid them. That does not mean that we should try to escape them. That does not mean that we should try to push them away. And that does not mean that we should even meet them head on. 
Dr. Kenneth Cooper, a medical doctor, said, Make no mistake, stress is your deadly enemy, which you must learn to combat with all the resources at your disposal. We know from life's experience that stress has called many people to burn out and others of us simply to rust away. You ever feel like you burn out? You know what burnout is? Trying to accomplish in the flesh only that which should be accomplished by the Spirit of the living God. But yet stress and anxiety has brought many of us to a place of burnout and some of the rest of us simply rust away. Some stress in some of our lives has caused some people to walk away from their marriage, even though you would think that that marriage was the epitome of one of the most mature Christian marriages that you'd ever seen in your life. But because of stress and anxiety, it's caused some people to walk away from it. We've seen other people because of stress and anxiety to walk away from pastoring churches. Do you realize that there's pastors are resigning by the droves today, partly because of stress and anxiety? One pastor said one time he'd love to pastor if it wasn't for people. If it wasn't for people, they wouldn't need a pastor. Some news, I think Fox News said just two or three weeks ago that in one place, 42% of pastors are resigning because of stress and anxiety. And yet there are many people in churches full of stress and anxiety that are walking away from the pastorate. I mean, they're walking away from teaching a class. They're walking away from church responsibilities. And some are leaving their jobs. And some are even dropping off their team, whether it's a bowling team or a football league in which they might be part of. Stress and anxiety often leads many ruined relationships and many broken hearts along the way. Stress and anxiety only happens Stress and anxiety hurts. And stress and anxiety doesn't just hurt the person going through it. Stress and anxiety can hurt the people that are surrounding the person that's going through it. Maybe you're in the room tonight and you could preach this sermon because you've been on the receiving end of somebody else's stress. You've been on the receiving end of somebody else's anxiety. You've been the recipient, recipient of the pain inflicted upon you, whether it's been verbal abuse or, or, or emotional abuse, or sometimes physical abuse, or because somebody doesn't know how to respond to stress and anxiety. That's something to deal with. I'm reluctant to say this, but I, and I'm not going to because it's too personal, so I'll let it pass for another day. Hurting people hurt people. I'm going to say it. <laughs> my mother was married before she married my dad. She married a man that was much older than her. He apparently went through a lot of stress of anxiety because one day he came home and he took a gun. He shot my mother five times while she was pregnant with me. He took the sixth bullet and shot himself in the head. You talking about pain? You talking about anxiety that went on in those families? And for 66 years, I've lived with many questions that's brought a lot of stress in my life. And hurting people hurt people. And there are many people that are full of stress and full of anxiety that rather than taking it to God and letting God handle it, they take matters into their own hands. They hurt somebody else or they hurt themselves 
when reality is we have got to learn stress and anxiety, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, it's part of the world that we live in because it's a fallen world. But I'm here to tell you, through the grace of God and by the power of God and by the word of God, there isn't anything that comes your way or my way that we cannot overcome because the scripture is true and it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And I rejoice in knowing that stresses are going to come. They are our enemy. Anxiety will come. It is our enemy. But we can learn to take the enemy to be our friend. And that's what I hope we can learn tonight. How do we make this enemy to be our friend tonight? It sounds like an oxymoron. So one of the messages we want to share on Wednesday night is how that stress and anxiety are paradoxical. Paradoxical. We're going to talk about that later on as well. Now, once again, when you're living with somebody, when you're working with somebody, when you're on a team with somebody that's constantly stressed out and full of anxiety, it can also affect your personal health. It can affect you emotionally. It can affect you physically. And it can affect you spiritually equally as well. Why? Because it affects our personal health. It can affect our happiness. It can affect our home. It can affect our future. Because we just want to roll over and play dead sometimes. No wonder stress and anxiety has often been referred to as our enemy. When James penned this epistle... He was writing to a church who knew something about stress and anxiety. What I mean by that? Well, the people had been scattered all over the world at that time. They had simply been scattered. They had to leave. They were, they were just scattered. They left their homes. They left their jobs. They left their crops. They left their surroundings. They left their securities. They left everything that they had. And the only thing they left with was the belongings which they could carry with them as they traveled down the road. Pulling up roots and picking up stakes is not an easy thing to do in anybody's world. Uh, and understand this, in spite of all that, James tells the people to consider it a pure joy when you fall into various trials. Now the word that James used here for trials in the Greek language, it basically means many colored or many kinds, which tells me that we all go through trials, we'll all go through tests, but they're not all going to be the same. You're going to have different trials than I have. I'm going to have different tests than you're going to have. But we all are going to be tried and tested. But they're not always going to be the same. Wouldn't it be great if we all woke up and said, in the month of October, we're all going to go through the same trial. It ain't going to happen that way, Leroy. They're going to be varied and colored, and they're going to be differently all the way along the line. So some of the people whom James is writing were dealing with job issues. If we leave where we're at and we're scattered abroad, where am I going to work? The others were saying, how am I going to eat? I, I can barely put food on the table now. And how in the world am I going to eat when I get where? And by the way, where am I going to go? I don't have a clue where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know where we're going to settle. I don't know what kind of a rock I'm going to live under because I can't even afford a house right now. Can you imagine what they were going through? Where are we going to settle? And you know what? They were probably saying, will we even see some of our families again? Because we went this way. But my son and daughter-in-law with their kids, they went that way. Will we ever see each other again? That brings stress upon people. And some of these people, no doubt, probably felt like they had failed along the way. Other trials were the result of old age, condemnation, guilt, discouragement, problems in the family, sickness, disease, even early death. I dare say some of the kids probably did not want to leave Jerusalem 
And the inward rebellion that they had now was outwardly manifested. I remember when I was 16 years old, my dad took a job at a different, with the same company, a brand new store down the road about 20 miles from where we lived. So they went down the road 20 miles and bought a piece of property and they were ready to build. Well, guess what? This little boy said, I ain't going. I'll stay with granny. I'm not going. I didn't want to go. I was a bulldog, Tazewell High School bulldog. I didn't want to be no Richlands tornado. I'm staying here with my friends. And that's where we stayed. Inward rebellion can come out to outward manifestation if we're not careful. So once again, some had more money than they had months. The list of trials goes on and on. The point being, we face a number of different trials, different colored, many colored, and many kinds. First of all, everybody's in this boat. There's some trials that we face that are natural. It comes to everybody. It comes from sickness, disease, comes from lack of information, disappointments, circumstances that are even beyond our control. These trials are natural because we live in a fallen world and we're housed in a carnal body that is susceptible to sin and susceptible to everything that takes place in this God-forsaken world. Even though they're predictable, they are also problematic. I don't know of any trial or test I've gone through that went, oh boy, this is going to be a hoot, God. And yet he says, rejoice when you go through them. They're problematic. And yet with that being said, We didn't wake up this morning with a song on our hearts and glory to God, it's going to be a great day and we're riding down the road and then all of a sudden we're blindsided. All of a sudden we get that phone call. All of a sudden we get that knock on the door. All of a sudden we get that email. All of a sudden we get that uh, person coming to us and our world is turned upside down just like that because of the natural world we live in that all hell can break loose at any moment in our life. We were blindsided without warning. We fell into a trial we never saw coming and now stress and anxiety fills our hearts such as the present world we live in. It's amazing to me how I can wake up in the morning. I wake up every morning between two and four o'clock and I pray and I sing songs. I'm glad you don't hear, but God must enjoy it. I'm on the way to church and I'm praying, walk right down the road and I go down to the sheriff's department early in the morning at 5.30, had devotions with those guys. I come to church and everything is just fine and then all of a sudden, your world is turned upside down without rhyme, without reason. And you go, God, where did this come from and why? And I don't know how you are, but I could put myself in a state of depression just like that. And ever since I've been preaching and teaching on these, this subject of anxiety and stress, the thing I hate about it is I get to try it out. And that's one thing about when you receive a new revelation from God about something, or illumination upon the Word of God, shall I say, you get an opportunity to try it out. Jesus went through the same thing. As soon as, as, soon as he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he was led of the Spirit of God into the wilderness to go through 40 days of trials and testing. If you're the son of God, prove it. His world was turned upside down. And you know what's interesting to me about that? The 40-day fast that Jesus Christ was on, I don't one time hear of him hearing the voice of God, hear the voice of the devil. He already knew the word of God, and he had to take the word of God 
to speak against the anxieties and the stress that came his way. And if we're not careful, we want to wait to hear from God when God has already given us his word. And we need to take the word out of the sheath, the sword of the spirit, and say, Slewfoot, this is what God's word said. And when you and I begin to talk to our stress and begin to talk to our depression, I think something's going to happen. That's why I say plead the blood of Christ over your life daily. We overcome daily by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And too many of us, we just got the monies. We got to go through a test and pass it before we can have a testimony. So trials are going to come sometime they're natural. Secondly, some of the trials are supernatural. They come across our path simply because we are born again Christian. Remember what Peter said. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. I wonder if Peter went in the back of his mind and says, you know what, I remember the night I blew it. Oh, bucket mouth Peter, myself, I said, Jesus, I won't leave you. The world will forsake you. All these other people forsake you. I'll be true to you. And I believe in his heart he meant every word of it. But Jesus looked at Peter and shook his head. Boy, before cock crow, you're going to deny me three times. Not me. This is Peter you're talking to, Lord. I've been with you. When nobody else walked on the water, I did. I was on that Mount of Transfiguration. I didn't understand, but I was ready to build you a church. I'll never forsake you. Bring it on. Sometimes the temptations we think that are the furthest from us can be the ones that are the closest to us. And sure enough, when Jesus was betrayed in the garden of Gethsemane, Peter, true to word, he took out a sword. Bring it on. And he whopped off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And now he brought more problem than he did good, taking matters into his own hands. Peter followed from afar. Everybody else left like rats jumping from a sinking ship. But Peter followed from afar. And then he went and he warmed himself by the fire. And next thing you know, he came under fire. When people said, you're one of his disciples. Now, I don't know the man. Your speech betrayed you. He cursed. Peter was under fire. Big time. He failed the test. He failed the Lord. But the Lord whom he really loved did not fail him. Because he cleansed him and he forgave him. And Peter became on fire on the day of Pentecost. When the presence of the Holy Ghost came down. And he did great and mighty things for the glory of God. So what I'm trying to say, Peter, I wonder if he thought when he said, don't think it's strange concerning this fire. Been there, done that. (laughs) Bought the t-shirt out, grew it, and sold it in the yard sale. Would have been there. So don't you think it's anything unnatural. You're going to go through it supernatural. Remember this. When you stand for Jesus, you're standing against the world. When you're standing for Jesus, you're standing against the world. When you line up with Jesus, you're lining up against an ugly world. Against a system that's contrary to what we believe. Please remember that. That within itself means the world hates us. The world despises us. The world wants to get rid of us. And that's going to bring a certain amount of anxiety because we want to sit around the fire saying kumbaya. We want to get along with everybody, do we not? I do. I don't like enemies. Do you? But it goes against everything that we believe in. I can't speak for you in this room tonight, but I do believe that we're all cut out of the same cloth. 
Stress is killing most of us and we don't even realize it. As a pastor, I feel stress. I feel anxiety all the time. As I talk to people in the, in, in the community and other pastors, they feel stress and they feel anxiety. Stress leads many of us to overeating and that comes from comfort foods. Overeating produces many side effects like overweight, bad health, sugar diabetes. In our culture, we wait for people to get sick before we throw money at to get better. I've often thought, what would happen if we throw money at staying better so we wouldn't get sick? I don't know about you, church, but I fought the battle of the bulge all my life. I was at the gym the other day, and I saw this big old muscle-bound guy, and I said, dude, I look at you, and I see my past. He smiled. I said, if you don't keep it up, you're looking at your future. That ought to inspire anybody to stay true to the weight machine. I'd hate to see what I'd look like if I hadn't tried to maintain my weight. I hate getting on the scales that says one at a time, please. Anybody have that trouble? I talked to a lady the other day, or a man the other day, and said his wife got a pair of scales that talked at you. Because the one she had, she didn't like. She thought they were broke. He said, they work for me. So she got a pair of talks. Well, she got rid of them because she didn't like what the scales told her back. I said, if I got them, they'd probably say, get off of me, get off of me. It's probably what they say if I had it. <laughs> Being overweight increases the risk of heart disease diabetes, even arthritis. There's some studies indicating being obese increases the risk of death from types of cancer, including cancer of the esophagus, colon, liver, pancreas, and even the kidneys. I know from experience that anxiety can play a, mar a major part in overeating and overeating the wrong things because God knows in America we got a lot of comfort foods that I love. And don't look at me like a cow looking astroturf. You know exactly what I'm saying tonight. We don't know, I don't know, I have not known, or I've not wanted to know how to deal with anxiety. Now friends, I'm not telling you something I've overcome. I'm telling you where I'm living. You've got an honest pastor whether you know it or not. I'm telling you where I live. When it comes to anxiety and stress, I have never dealt with it well. But I pray by the grace of God that I'll learn how, and I'm learning how. But when we have the comfort foods, it's easier to go after those things that brings me comfort than it is to go get me a piece of fruit. All of us would probably do a whole lot better off if we took serious inventory of our lives in this regard. If we just brought a little exercise into our lives, less junk food in our diet. Most of us, I can speak for myself, don't eat a good breakfast. Donut, a pastry, big old two cups of coffee, a breakfast bar, Sausage biscuit, don't that just sound good? And two cups of coffee, we're ready to go. And then most of us eat at fast food restaurants somewhere throughout the day, and you know what kind of comfort food that is. We top it off when we come home in the evening, and we, we don't eat a balanced meal sometimes, a lot of fried food and so forth. And we top it off with a nice, short, leisurely walk to the lazy boy with a piece of cake or a piece of pie. And we rear back and I'm much deserved. I need this. I need my junk food fix because I'm stressed. I'm full of anxiety. And I need my comfort food. 
And what's happening, we're digging our own graves with our forks and our knives, and we may not even be aware of it. Anybody out there say amen with me? Amen. We get on this vicious cycle. Stress, anxiety, depression, past the hamburger and the bag of potato chips. And what's that do? Puts us on more guilt, more depression, and that's an endless cycle, vicious cycle that we find very difficult to get off of. May God help me. Speak for yourself. But may God help me become more disciplined in my eating and in my exercise. Now, to add insult to injury, I was going to the gym, working out an hour a day, lifting weights. I rode my bicycle 75 miles a week. I blew a meniscus in my leg, tore a rotator cup in my arm, and had two heart attacks. Exercise will kill you. <laughs> but stress will kill us first if we're not careful. Our bodies are made to respond in a positive manner to exercise. Our bodies are made to respond positively to proper diet, to proper drink. And as a result of that, things what will happen, the result will be remarkable. Stress levels will decrease. Blood pressures will decrease. Numbers of cholesterol will decrease. And on top of that, our body will secrete the endorphins that we talked about last week that will make us feel better all the way around. We need to have a prayer meeting right now. Say, God, help us. Amen. Now, there's, there, there are other indicators which help us identify stress and anxiety in our lives as well. There are physical signs such as tension, headache, back pain, change of appetite, change of sleeping habits, higher blood pressure are often telltale signs that stress is building up in our lives. Did you get that? Yeah. Don't need to chew it up and spit it out again. Speak to any of us. There are also behavioral signs that includes but not limited to the following. Loss of productivity, strained relationships, loss of concentration, overeating, compulsive behavior, and the list goes on and on. Some of the most obvious signs of stress and anxiety are seen in the emotional realm. And this is where I fight it the most. It includes, but again, not limited to the following. Depression, a loss of self-worth, a feeling of failure, frustration, Withdrawal and isolation. Welcome to my world. Anybody else like that? I'm there every day of my life almost. And that's why I'm telling you, church, it's important every day that you get in the presence of God and say, Lord, I'm tired of believing the lies about myself. I'm tired of believing the lies the enemy puts on me. And I've got to get along with God and say, what do you think about me, God? What's your estimation? What's your value? And all you got to do is look at the cross to see how much he loves you. Amen. And all you got to do is look to the word of God to see how much he cares. And all we have to do is look to him as the author and the finisher of our faith for him to validate who we are. Many of us have never been validated today in our life. And there's still teenagers and there's still men, men today, grown men that are still waiting on their father to say, I love you, son. Jesus never performed a miracle. I'm not saying it was the reason until, until he heard the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. There's so much that puts stress and anxiety within our lives. 
And we need not play in the devil's hand or in the hand of the world or to the lies that people tell about who you are. You know, there are times I can work myself up into a frenzy just listening to lies in my head. Anybody else? It's where you fight that with the word of living God. There are also spiritual signs of stress, such as lack of desire for devotional life, a loss of focus and concentration in our prayer lives, and a loss of passion and concern for a lost and dying world that's round about us. We withdraw from the church, and we substitute our church life with something else that often pampers the flesh. Hey, you all pay me to come. And there are times I don't want to come. I'm being honest with you. Anybody else? Like, and you've got to pay to come, I hope. I'm just trying to be real. Understand that stress and anxiety are part of your life. And because you go through this, that doesn't mean you don't serve God. It may mean you love God more than you think. It may mean that there's a lot more he's working in your life to bring you to maturity that you're not aware of. And it's the enemy that wants to rob and to kill, to destroy and to depress. I got so much to say, but I got to hurry. If we deny these these signs, if we ignore any of these signs, be it physical, emotional, behavioral, spiritual, it gives the rise to the fact that stress can be problematic. It can trigger heart attack or perhaps stroke. It produces acid within the stomach that can bring ulcers upon us. I've already mentioned the possibility of high blood pressure and, 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 and diabetes. Stress and anxiety not being handled the right way can lead to a series of problems that rob us of life, rob us of joy, rob us of peace, and rob us of our future, and rob us of God's very best for our lives. I want to ask you a strange question, but be honest with me. Have you ever been so full of stress and anxiety that you thought God... I just gave up on you. I see one, two hands, honestly. A few hands. Just felt like God just given up on you. You're not worth the salt that it puts to put on your potato. Because we listen to the lies of the devil. And we have the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm not going to take the time to read all of it. But I think it's a powerful story. Here we see a true man of God, a mighty man of God, a man who loved God, a man who was mightily used of God. Yet after his victory on Mount Carmel, we find that he is eaten up with stress and anxiety. Remember the story how he, in 1 Kings 18, he gathered all the prophets of Baal together. And he alone, I'm the only one out there serving God. And he's on that mountain all prayed up, man. And he said, I tell you what, if Baal's God, let's worship him. If Almighty God's God, let's worship him. You all build your altar and call upon Baal. And if he don't answer, I'll build my altar and I'll call upon Yahweh. And the God that answered by fire, that's who we'll serve. Remember the story? He was up there for hours. Now, I don't know about you, but that had to be stressful. You think about today, if you were the only Christian around a bunch of Muslims, Shiite Muslims, God haters, Jew haters, Christian haters, and you were somewhere in Babylon on a mountain. And you said, if Allah's God, you build your altar and prove it. And if he's not, I'll prove that Jesus is. How do you think that'd go over? Same type thing. Stressful. And even if God does answer the fire, are they going to be true to their word? They're going to kill you. Stressful. But you know the story. God answered by fire and the fire fell. And all those prophets were killed. 
You're talking about a victory. And sometimes on the heel of the mightiest victory that God gives us can be a telltale sign for the biggest trial and test you're about to go through where anxiety and depression will hit quicker. It's many times after the great services that I feel the most down. It's sometimes after one of the greatest moves of God that I feel like the anxiety and stress comes. The very first sermon I preached at 18 years of age, I was scared to death. 550 people in that congregation, they couldn't hear me the second row back when I said something. But when the anointing hit, they heard me outside. Gave an altar call and three souls gave their heart to the Lord. My dad was the first one down the altar to give his heart to Jesus. Went to the back door and shook people's hands. Everybody, oh, what a great job, what a great job. And I felt so great. But then all of a sudden, everybody's gone and I am so depressed. I mean, I am depressed. I felt ugly. I felt unclean. And I looked at my pastor and I said, I feel like I'm backslidden. He laughed. I said, it's not funny. He said, son, the anointing lifted. I said, you mean I got to go through this every time I preach? He said, probably. I wish you hadn't said that because that's been true. After the anointing lifts, there's such a depression that can come, at least for me. And the anxiety, because the devil sat here and said, did you say that right? Could they have taken that wrong? Did you mean to say that? It's a battle. It's a battle. But as long as that sucker's chasing us, he don't have us. I said, as long as the devil's chasing us, he doesn't have us, praise God. I'm just telling you, I'm letting you in my world. I'm telling you my world. But sometimes it's off the high victories that God gives us when all hell can break loose on our life. That was the case with, with Elijah. Elijah, he did some phenomenal things, and yet just a few verses later, he's completely stressed out and running for his life. What, we're wrong to assume that only people fall into a stressful situation that don't have anything to do. But it's some of the men and women you'd never think would that often fall victim to stress and anxiety. Few men in history rose to the top and were successful as Elijah in a short amount of time. And stress often leads to depression, at least it did for this man by the name of Elijah. The stress that pastors go through can lead to burnout. I'll tell you what's fact. It, it ought to be that churches ought to allow pastors to take and many do, and I've been offered one here, and that's a sabbatical because there are times you've got to come apart before you fall apart. Burnout and depression can sometimes be hard to distinguish, but yet they're two separate things. Burnout's one of the possible results of unchecked depression. Let me say it again. Burnout is one sign of unchecked depression. There are several contributing factors to the stress that Elijah went through. Let me go through them first of all. Forgetfulness. When you're stressed, you often can be forgetful of what God has done in the past. When we had that $137,500 bill that came in here a month ago, a month or so ago, I'll tell you what, you're talking about stressful. When you have a bill coming due you didn't know you had coming due, and you don't have the money to pay for it, and you're the leader, that's stressful. But many in the morning, I came up at 5, 36 o'clock, and it was dark, and I had to walk this campus. I look around and say, look what God did. Look what God has done. Look what God is doing. I looked at that mission board and say, look what God has done. Hey, that God's not going to fail us, and he didn't. 
For those that don't know, we exceeded that goal by over $10,000 because of your faithless and God's. For that, we're grateful. But we forget, and Ahab told Jezebel that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, by two tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Bathsheba, which belonged to Judea, and left his servant there. Elijah had come down from the mountain where God had given him a great victory over Baal and over the prophets. But he took his eyes off of the God of the mountain and he got his eyes on the Jezebel in the valley. And friends, we're going to walk through the valley. We better keep our eyes on the God of the mountain. Are you following what I'm saying? Some of us fall for stress for the same reason. Like Elijah, we've seen God come through again and again and again. But when the crisis comes, when a Jezebel shows up at our door, Sometimes we forget God and we run away all stressed out, all burned out, and we often get angry with God. And we didn't give him a chance to work. Another source of stress for Elijah was fear. Fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. That's fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Now that sounds good while we're on top of the mountain, but what do we do when the mountain gets on top of us? We get full of fear. Fear is not an action. Fear is a reaction. Fear is faith in reverse. When a crisis comes and our life is governed by circumstances and situations, our reaction will will be fear. But if we allow the Bible to be our source of strength and stability, our reaction will be one built on faith in God. That's why it's important and imperative that we encourage ourselves in the Lord. David said, magnify the Lord with me. That does not mean we can make God any bigger than he is, but it does mean we can see God as big as he is for the need that we're going through at that moment. Another problem that he had was fatigue in verse, uh, chapter 19 and, and verse 3. Elijah had just spent several hours on top of a mountain. Emotional stress was inevitable. Then he ran from Jezebel all the way down to Beersheba, which was probably over a 100-mile journey. I bet Terry Randolph couldn't have kept up with him. And Terry runs miles a day. But you think about, man, running for over 100 miles. I would venture to say he was tired. I would venture to say his muscles were cramping. I would venture to say Elijah was exhausted. No wonder he collapsed and fell underneath a juniper tree. Tiredness and fatigue is a plague of modern day life. And sometimes our tiredness and our fatigue seems to be the badge of honor that we wear when we talk to people. I'm tired. Brother Bill looked at me and I said, you look tired. I said, I'm wore out. My badge of honor. We're all tired, are we not? We're all tired. For whatever reason. Stress can bring a lot of that on us as well. It often keeps us from thinking correctly. Fatigue can often keep us from making the right decisions. And fatigue can be one of the major contributors to stress and anxiety. Elijah was tired. But he also, we see failure. Even though Elijah had been successful in the past, he now felt like a failure. Oh, 
How many of you have had success from God from time to time? Then you feel like a failure. Again, welcome to my world. Welcome to my world. All of these sources, forgetfulness, fear, fatigue, led him to think he was a failure in life. And he developed a give up mentality toward life. God did a victory through him. God wrought a miracle through him. God, you're great on this mountain. Jezebel, oh, she's going to kill me. He runs. He's full of fear. He's full of fatigue. He forgets about who God is. And now I'm a failure. God doesn't love me. I can't do nothing. I'm not worth anything. And all of a sudden, all your mistakes, all your past defeats, all your pain that you thought was forgiven and gotten, here it comes back up. And it haunts you day and it haunts you at night. And you're saying to yourself, God, just take my life. That's what Elijah did. Just kill me. God, take me home. How dumb things we say when we're tired. If he wanted to die, what did he run for? Jezebel obliged him. We don't make, when you're depressed, when you're discouraged, for God's sake, don't make decisions because it'll be wrong. When you're in the valley of discouragement, do not make decisions because they'll probably be wrong. Elijah is not only a good illustration of the source of stress, but also a good illustration of the symptoms of stress. There's a difference between the source of stress and the symptoms of stress, and we often treat the symptoms of stress without treating the source of stress. Are you with me? Much of our time is spent treating symptoms when we are to be dealing with the source. Now, one of the sources led to the stress. There are some symptoms that show up where they are. The first is detachment. Know what he did. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it's enough now, Lord. Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. How many times have I prayed that prayer? Don't you look at me like that. Anybody ever said that when you were down? Oh, we're in good company tonight, aren't we? Let's be honest. When we get stressed and full of anxiety and we don't think anybody loves us and everybody's against us and we listen to this stuff in our head, take me home, God. (laughs) And we mean it. Thank God he doesn't. He left those he loved and he left those that loved him. He withdrew himself. He went to isolation. And that's one of the first symptoms of stress. Remember, it's the symptom. It's not the source. Are you with me? Isolation is the symptom. It's not the source. People try to deal with stress by treating the symptoms. They try all sorts of positive thinking. And they get back on track, so to speak, but it doesn't work. Another symptom is despondency. Look in verse 4. That's helplessness or pessimism. Elijah lost his will to live. He wasn't thinking correctly because he was allowing fatigue and fear to rule his mind. He fell, under the, he fell underneath that juniper tree completely exhausted. <sighs> he fell. A third symptom is defeat. In verse 4, the man, Elijah, a great man, a victorious man, a man of valor, had suicidal thinking. I don't believe that preacher. Then read it. Verse 4. In reality, he was saying to himself, I'm worthless. 
that I'm worthless. Anybody have felt that way? I have a lot. I'm just a worthless. I wouldn't dare tell you in mixed company what I told my mother when I was 11 years old. I'm just worthless, God. Everything up to this point, been your grace, but I'm just worthless. That's what Elijah felt. Remember, these things, withdrawal, isolation, despondency, and worthless, they are not the sources of stress. They are the symptoms. There was also an element of deception in verses 18, or 10 through 18. Here we see that wrong thinking came the result of a stress-filled life. He thought he was the only man of God left. Deceptful thinking. I'm the only one out there, God, and I'm not worth anything. Just kill me and take me on home and let the world go to hell in a handbasket. I'm done. But what happened? God showed him, dude, you're not the only one out there. Got many men out here that's not bowed to Baal. I think God wanted to say, get up off your pity pot, boy, and remember who I am and remember what I've called you to do and get up and do it. He didn't say that. Now let's look quickly at the solutions to stress. They're physical solutions. The first thing that he did, he ate properly and he slept properly. The angel came and gave him the water and gave him the cakes, went back to sleep and fed him again. I have found for myself when I get stressed, one of the greatest things I can do when I find the time is to sleep. I thought about my poor little precious kids. There have been times through the years that churches have given us a weekend off for pastor appreciation or, or what have you, and they might send us to the clear water. They might send us Orlando in a hotel, and we'd get there about 3.30 in the afternoon, and we would sleep, all four of us, till 7 at night, get up and go eat, come back and sleep till noon, get up and go eat, and come back and sleep the rest of the day, all four of us, sleep for two days. I thought, oh, those poor kids have been drugged from pillar to post. And my wife and I, if we get a little time away, that's all we do. We go and we sleep. Just wore out. And that sometimes, friend, can help you more than you'll ever know. Notice also, if you will, in order to deal with stress, we need to eat properly and we need to rest properly. The solution to stress is partly physical, but it's also personal. God comes to Elijah and he asks him a personal question. And he moves him from the juniper tree to another place of isolation in a cave. And God says, what are you doing? And he said, nothing. I'm not doing anything. Many of us lose our joy by doing nothing. Because we are our worst enemy. Anybody out there your worst enemy besides me? And because we are our worst enemy, we don't feel like we're nothing. Therefore, we don't think we can do nothing. And in ourselves, we can't do nothing. But we understand here, you're doing nothing. God told him to go stand at the mountain. And he obeyed and heard a still small voice. A word of refreshing and a word of reassurance is what we need. Get up from the juniper tree. You won't be in isolation. Go in that cave. But stand right there and wait upon me. And there was a word of refreshing. And there was a word of, of reassurance that came to his life. Not only is the solution to stress physical and personal, it's also practical. Look, if you will, in verses 15 through 16. Elijah now had a new job. Elijah now had a new task. 
He let the old be gone. He gave God glory for what God did through him. But Elijah, stand up in the power of my might. There's a new assignment. There's a new day coming. And you're going to be part of it, boy. If you and I can understand, God has invested so much in each and every one of us. He don't want us to waste our life for fear or fatigue or the pressures of this world. Anxiety is going to come. Stress is going to come. But don't just treat the symptom. Go to the source of it and let God reassure you with a new word, with a new power that will come upon us and even give us the assignment that we need to carry out for the glory of God. It involved other people. And it was a very practical solution for Elijah. He went from the valley of isolation to a very powerful ministry. And our stress doesn't have to come to a dead end street. It may turn the road that leads us to some greater things than we ever thought about before. Stress does not have to be an enemy. It can be your friend. If we learn to deal with it before it learns to deal with us. Stress may, may be problematic, but it can be turned to a friend. There's hope. I said there's hope in the midst of stress. It's temporary. Peter said, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a lifetime. No, now for a season, if need be, your heaviness through manifold temptation. An old guy got to preach one time years ago, and he ran out of the gospel. And it came to pass, and he stopped, and he said, thank God it didn't come to stay. <laughs> and it came to pass. It'll come to pass, church, for you as well. The season of stress, the season of anxiety, the season of depression, it can be transitory. There's never been a sunset that was never followed by a sunrise. There's never been a valley that didn't have two mountains on either side. There's never been a problem that you and I and God can't solve. There's never been a tear that God cannot dry. And there has never been stress and anxiety that he cannot control. Brothers and sisters, don't allow the stress at the moment to rob you of your peace, your joy, your life, and or your ministry. Exercise. Put on the proper diet. Stay close to God in prayer. Stay close to God in the reading of his word. And remember, it's not what you're going through, church. It's what you're going to that really matters and that road to where we're going will be cobbled stone with stress and anxiety and depression but I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me.